0: what's up everybody and welcome back to the bama beat podcast brought to you by wickles pickles and home field apparel we'll tell you more about both of those fine institutions in a minute i'm brett hudson joined as always on our football podcast by clint lamb clint what's up man not
1: much man glad to be back alabama's back
0: we're back we're ready to roll i know we uh i was thinking about it this morning we haven't podcasted since we recapped the Mississippi State game. Um, and part of that was due to a, an open week and, and I was taking some vacation that week and then we were what maybe ten to twelve hours away from, from podcasting when the LSU game got got officially scrapped by by the SEC. So we've uh we've been kneecapped by by the Rona in terms of the, the podcast. But we're back now. Um, and as always we're brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. We'll tell you more about Wickles Pickles after our break about midway through the show, but I think the best way I can sell Home Field Apparel to a group of rabid Alabama fans is if you've ever wanted a sweatshirt with an angry Big Al wearing a white helmet and nothing else, naked Big Al wearing nothing but a white helmet, Home Field Apparel is the only place you can get it. It's at homefieldapparel.com. They rolled out, alabama content a few weeks ago now i'm looking at 13 items on the website i'm seeing want two hoodies i'm seeing one two three sweatshirts and then that would make what nine t-shirts uh all of it on homefieldapparel.com it's been incredibly high selling to the point that Alabama beat the rest of the schools in Big New Saturday sales. Homefield has been rolling out new schools every Saturday for several months now. It just ended a couple weeks ago with Michigan being the last school, and the the Michigan money cannon was not enough to overcome Alabama sales on on Big New Saturday. There there are sweatshirts of naked Big Al wearing a, a white helmet. There's a university seal. Sweat sweat sweatshirt that my wife particularly liked, the the classic elephant stepping out of the Block A logo, there's that on a hoodie. The other hoodie has this red big owl wearing a black jersey and white pants giving somebody the Heisman. It's fantastic. All of the t-shirts are cool, too, so go to homefieldapparel.com. If it's your first purchase, you can use the promo code BAMABEAT to get 20% off your your first purchase. And I, I highly, highly recommend that. Because if you if you make the mistake of pulling up the Alabama collection on homefieldapparel.com, you're going to want to buy multiple items. So go ahead and give yourself 20% off with the promo code BAMABEAT at checkout, homefieldapparel.com. Um, so I guess we should probably kind of cover the last, 10 days or so of, of Alabama football, or I guess the lack of Alabama football. And again, I'm using the questions I'm asked by people just walking around, dropping the girls off at daycare. And then the questions I'm asked in, in radio appearances as a, a gauge of um, public interest. And the, the question that I'm probably asked most often is if you think this two week period without a game, did more good or more harm for, for Alabama. The, the good obviously being the rest time and the, uh, the, the time to heal from, from nagging injuries that people like LeBrian Ray and Brian Robinson Jr. and Malachi Moore uh, carried with them. The, the latter two picked them up in the uh, Mississippi State game uh, the last time Alabama played. Uh, but the obvious drawback to that would be a lack of sharpness. You're kind of taking two weeks off at a time of the season where you're, and not only are you physically in game shape, but your your skills are sharp. You're you're at a point where you're, you've been doing football things every single day for, uh, close to three months now. So you're you're pretty sharp in what you're doing, and then you take two weeks out of that routine. You're still practicing, but not with the with the same sense of urgency, I, I, I would assume I'm not at practice every day, but uh, one could one could assume. Where, where do you fall on that? Do you think the time time off hurt Bama more than it benefited it, or do you think it benefited Alabama more than it hurt? That that's
1: the million dollar question, right? Um, it is. Man, it just because I've seen it work both ways. Uh, there have been teams that have had to take extended periods of time off and come back and look really good. You know, Wisconsin being one of them, uh, you turn around and and they have all the issues that they had. Graham Mertz, their star quarterback. Well, Michigan
0: makes everyone look really good,
1: too. That's a fair point. That's a very, very fair point. But, you know, even and that's kind of the I and I completely agree with that aspect. But I also look at it and say, you know, just the complete uncertainty like they didn't even come out early in the game and look rusty at all. Uh, it was like that they hadn't missed a beat. And, you know, we talk about the two week layoff and you're correct. You know, there's not been two weekends without an Alabama game, but when you talk about total time, since they've been on a game field, it's going to have been three weeks. Right. Uh, Yeah. I think by this weekend, it'll be the 20th or 21st. Um, I guess the 21st was Halloween. The last time that Alabama played a, a football game. So that's, you know, uh, 20 or three exactly three weeks ago. Uh, so I it's that's that's a long time without getting any sort of game reps, and I'll be curious to see how they're able to respond. <sighs> but and and I've been asked that question a lot too, and and I haven't been able to give people an answer because like the or the answer that I've given is we really don't know, we've never seen the only thing that I can look at and say definitively is we've seen Alabama with long layoffs before. Between the 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 SEC championship or the last regular season game and a bowl game or the college football playoff or a national championship, when you give Nick Saban plenty of time to prepare for one opponent, uh, he's done well. But during this time, they focus on all these other opponents that they still have. You know, it hadn't been just focusing in on Kentucky. In fact, you know, a lot of until the game got canceled last week, the focus was LSU. Um, and, and Nick Saban has talked about how they've, like I said, they've they've, they've, they've put focus on a lot of the, the, I guess all the teams left on the schedule. And I guarantee they looked ahead to probably Florida a little bit too in the SEC championship because it's going to take two losses from Alabama uh, and or two losses from Florida to, you know, for either one of those teams or both of those teams to not make it to the SEC championship. And that's possible. Uh, I'm not going to put it outside of the realm of possibility, but at the same time, I think that you're looking at a Florida-Alabama SEC championship at this point, and so you know they probably prepared a little bit for that. Um, I just I don't really know. Uh, and uh, you
0: know what are your thoughts on the situation? Do you think it's going to help him or hurt him? This is this is interesting because I'm I'm normally kind of waffling and, and going on both sides of an issue, and and you're able to come to a more hard and fast conclusion. And I it's it's the opposite here. You're you're unsure, and I'm I'm relatively confident that it's going to end up helping Bama more than it's going to hurt them because Nick Saban was kind of proactive in keeping the schedule the same through the LSU week to the point that they practiced on Saturday when they would have been playing LSU. And look, no practice they can do at the indoor or the outdoor uh, practice fields is going to accurately replicate the, the strain to use a Dan Mullen phrase um and whatever else benefit you get from uh from from playing in, in a different team, a different opponent. But I, I think the time off is really gonna benefit them, if nothing else, because the specific people that we mentioned that have nagging injuries, and, and they're obviously more. Everybody's beat up at this point in a football season. So you're kind of starting everyone with a with a fresh bill of health, but The specific people that we mentioned, LeBron Ray, who's been out for a minute. Robinson Jr. and Kai Moore, who both picked up uh, Knicks in the Mississippi State game. All three of those guys are important in their own ways. LeBron Ray, I I don't think there's any doubt that he's the best defensive lineman on this team, or at least the most proven defensive lineman on this team. You would love to have him back, and you'd love to have him back as close to 100% as you can possibly get in. So uh, him having two weeks to to practice on that injured elbow and kind of develop the confidence is important for him because that's the thing that Nick Saban keeps harping on. You never hear Nick Saban say, oh, well, we'll see if he's fully recovered or not. It's always talking about the confidence in that elbow. It's always talking about, Feeling confident and really engaging with a blocker and shooting those hands out when you have that elbow. It's the confidence in the injury as opposed to the actual physical health of it. So you give LeBron Ray an extra week of practice to, to develop that, and, and maybe that shows up. Um, then move on to Brian Robinson Jr. I, I wrote about it. The story will post on tidesports.com, I think, first thing Friday morning. But people who've been avid listeners of the podcast for a while will remember in the preseason when Steve Sarkeesian brought up that he wants to rotate running backs a little bit more to give Najee a little bit of a break. I looked at his track record going back to his time as the head coach at USC in Washington, and he just does not do that. He does not rotate running backs very well, not nearly to the point that that Alabama has in its recent history. And all the numbers are laid out. In the story, I suggest y'all go find it. I'll tweet it first thing Friday morning. And he hasn't been doing it again. Like, I'll I'll just give you this one. Najee Harris has taken almost 55% of Alabama's carries this year. For context, Derrick Henry in his Heisman season took 61.5%. Like, you're you're flirting with Derrick Henry-esque usage rates here with with Najee Harris – the one person who spells Najee a little bit is Brian Robinson Jr. So if you're missing him when you're already missing Trey Sanders with uh, the injury suffered in the car accident, Alabama's running back room kind of becomes an, an issue. If, if Najee even has to miss like a series or two with a turned ankle or something, then you're in, you're in pretty dire straits in that regard. So having, having Brian Robinson Jr. is is very important, an extra week. For, for him is is a big one of them. I think Malachi Morris is pretty easy to explain. He's been I mean he's been awesome this year as as the star and uh, Bama hasn't really had a great answer for all six positions in its dime package. They've had Brian Branch in there. They've had Demarco Hellums in there. They've had Daniel Wright in there, depending on what they're doing at, at deep safety with Daniel Wright or Demarco Hellums and. If you pull Malachi more from that package due to an injury or, or whatever, you're, you're you're kind of putting yourself on on thin ice, not only from a depth perspective, but also from uh, best talent available. So while while the sharpness is a fair concern, I still think the the time that you get for those very specific players is is going to outweigh whatever sluggishness Alabama may experience out of the break, especially. Because, and we're going to get to this later on, you're talking about a Kentucky team that doesn't really know what offense is anyway. So, if you are sluggish for a quarter, a quarter and a half, two quarters, it's probably not going to hurt you all that much because Kentucky can't put up all that many points anyway. Well, yeah,
1: uh, that's actually a really good point. Uh, All very good points. And one of the areas that I do think also help Alabama – is the spots like wide receiver where you took the massive hit with Jalen Waddle? You had guys like Slade Bolden and John Mechie who have stepped up um, and, and provided a lot. But as far as the depth behind them, you've had several weeks now to – Uh, get those true freshmen kind of up to speed, start figuring out, okay, who's your fourth option? Who's your fifth option? Where, where can we use some of these guys? What are things that they're doing? Well, what are some things that they're not doing? Well, you can put a lot more attention or you could have put a lot more attention on those particular guys to really try to round out your depth and figure out where you're at during this time off and they've been able to do that at some other positions as well. It's just, you know, wide receiver to me comes to mind because their their starters are pretty locked in and have been yes. playing extremely well, but the depth behind them was so unknown. And, and so the coaching staff has had plenty of time to let those guys compete, get some reps and figure out exactly what they have. And they probably have a much better idea of where that position is at behind their starters moving forward. And then, you know, um, You know, just getting LeBron Ray back, getting him uh, back to being part of that rotation. We've seen, you know, Justin Aboiby's done some good things for Darian Mathis, DJ Dell, Byron Young. Um, You know, we've seen Tim Smith and and Jamil Burrows play a little bit, and they're starting to show the ability to provide some depth. Then you throw LeBron Ray in that mix, and Alabama should be extremely deep. We talked about it going into the year, how deep they were going to be along the defensive line, and they've been okay but they haven't had that consistent, impactful player at, at front. But maybe getting LeBron Ray, you can get that presence, and then you turn around and, and can kind of mix and match playing to guys' strengths and things like that at the other spots, and he can kind of be your key cog uh, there along your defensive front. But I, I certainly think that it can help Alabama. Um you know, I, I will be curious to see if there's any sort of rust whatsoever. Kentucky's coming off a game against Vanderbilt where they uh, did some very good things offensively. Uh, not That's not a huge surprise, but I think it was Terry Wilson's best game. I think that gives him a little bit of confidence, but you're talking about playing Vanderbilt and going on the road to play Alabama, two very different things. Uh, so... Yeah, I'm not 100 percent convinced that they're going to come out and just be clicking at all cylinders uh, or on all cylinders and be able to score pretty much at will from the very first snap of the game. But I think you're talking about Max, a couple of drives to to knock off a little bit of rust if there is any. And, you know, at that point, maybe you're in a position where you've set yourself up uh, to to know a lot more about your squad over the last few weeks. Yeah. but as far as Kentucky goes, very interesting game. Uh, Kentucky is a thirty-point dog going on the road to take on Alabama at Bryant Denny Stadium. Weather's supposed to be pretty good, I think. I think the high is maybe like in the mid seventies, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, what are give me some of your initial thoughts on on that game?
0: Well, as I mentioned earlier, Kentucky is is allergic to offense. Uh, they they just don't do it very much, and I wrote about it. Earlier in the week, the story is already on on Tiesports.com, where um, when Kentucky does have any semblance of of an offense in a win, in a win, because that's what this is all about, right? This is all about the uh, the dub at the end of the day. So Kentucky has three of those wins. Uh, one of them came against Ole Miss, who is the antidote to all offensive woes. So we're, we're throwing that out the out the window because, I mean. You know, well, well, no, I'm sorry. That's when they've had offense, not when they've they've won. They lost that game. I, I looked at um, games where they had at least 250 yards of offense. Um, throwing out the Auburn game because they lost that one, and then Ole Miss is the the antidote to all offensive woes. So the two you have left are the Tennessee win and the Vanderbilt win. Against Tennessee, there was some quarterback run involved there. Against Vanderbilt, there was some quarterback run involved there. They have Terry Wilson, the the Auburn transfer. Um, So when they do have some offense, they have some quarterback run involved in it, which interested me because Nick Saban said they haven't really faced a team that incorporates quarterback run the way that Kentucky does. And I, I think he's right. Like You can you can point to some of Kellen Bond's success against Alabama on the ground in previous years, didn't have any this year, but that's, that's a Jimbo Fisher offense. They aren't doing things the way, uh, the way that other schools that have the, the quarterback involved in their run game do, um, Ole Miss, uh, self-explanatory. That's not really a quarterback run based offense. I, I mean, if it was, they would be starting John Rice Plumley and not Matt Corral, um, Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi State, those are all pretty self-explanatory. Missouri does some cool things in the run game, but they don't really use the quarterback to do a ton of it. So there's all six of Alabama's games right there. I think he's right. I think that Alabama hasn't really faced a team that incorporates quarterback run quite like Kentucky has. So maybe the Wildcats have a little bit of offensive success in that regard just because they're doing something that – Alabama isn't practiced in doing and as we thoroughly um, detailed they they're coming off of an atypical wait time for, for them. So so maybe there's a little bit of uh, yardage gained there, but I don't know that it's going to be enough to put enough points on the board to keep up with with Alabama's offense. I'm, I'm at the point now where uh, until they are slowed down, I don't see that it, it, Alabama's offense can be slowed down and that just kind of forces you to beat Alabama in a shootout and Kentucky ain't the team that can beat Bama in a shootout.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I don't really for me, and I'm not saying that Kentucky can't win this game. I'm, I'm not going to rat poison that I much.
0: To be clear, I am.
1: I am. <laughs> well, uh, Let's hope that Nick Saban does not listen to this podcast or you'll probably be getting an earful. Uh, I just want it to be on the record to say that I'm not going to go to a point where I'm saying I'm 100 percent convinced that Alabama wins this game. But I'm I'm pretty close. Uh, So really, to me, it comes down to this 30 point line. Uh, That's really, you know, do I think Alabama can win by more? And and just because they don't, uh, if they win by 28, that's still a big victory. It it doesn't mean that Alabama played bad or anything like that. It's just, you know, you got to be – if you're Alabama, the main thing is I don't know what this game does for you as far as knowing where you stand. You know, knock some rust off, but these high-powered offenses that you've gone against that have caused you issues and you're probably going to face in the college football playoffs or the SEC championship against Florida – um, you know, that those you're not gonna be seeing that on Saturday. So you don't really we're still not gonna know where Alabama stands defensively following this game. I was hoping that Miles Brennan would be back. I was hoping that LSU would be able to play Alabama and and I feel like that, that was an offense where they try to do a lot of creative things that can cause problems for defenses, and we get to know where Alabama's defense is at exactly. But that game didn't end up happening, or at least it didn't happen on you know the time frame that was originally scheduled to happen. So now we're back to Kentucky, and just what they do, they're not going to do a lot of things to cause you problems as far as you know putting strain on you. They're going to try to run the football right at you and, and play off of that with their passing game. They don't have a ton of weapons in the passing game. I can't remember the last time Kentucky had a receiver. Uh, that was just you know really really good you know Lynn Bowden well, was a receiver they had
0: but he, one but they made him play running and play made him play quarterback yeah. Lynn Bowden yeah that exactly and that's kind of
1: where I was heading they they had one and they turned around and through necessity had to play him at, at quarterback and now he's uh, I guess he got drafted by the Raiders and got traded to the Dolphins and he's a you know can be used as a running back can be used as a, as a receiver kind of a utility guy but um, just. Kentucky doesn't have a ton of big weapons in the passing game. And so they're not going to be slinging the ball around a ton. Uh, It's going to be, we'll get to get a good feel for where Alabama's defense is at as far as stopping the run. But I think that in some ways you can sell out for the run against Kentucky a lot more than you can against other, you know, much better offenses. And it can make your defense look really good by forcing them to try to be one dimensional when really your defense maybe isn't that great, and I'm not saying Alabama's it, and I'm just saying well, it's just still an unknown factor. So uh, I, we'll kind of see, um, and, and we'll talk more about this on the other side of the break. We are going to go ahead and get to a quick break, um, and and so this conversation is over. But we're going to end up getting some predictions in the second half of the podcast with you know maybe even try to get a score prediction out of you if I can. I don't know if you've written any kind of preview where you've got an idea of where you think this game could go, but. Um, we'll get all that stuff on the other side of the break. This has been the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Homefield Apparel. Hey, Alabama fans, how do you chill out each week? There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, a perfect moment to unwind in our busy lives. If your game is on, or any game for that matter, reach for Coors Light and that mountain cold refreshment. When you want to chill out? Flip to the channels and crack open a cold Coors Light. Each week, the games are getting more and more important. Make sure your refrigerator is stocked up with the one that is made to chill, Coors Light. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door or at .coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
0: And we're back on the Bama Beat Podcast, again brought to you by wickle's pickles and home field apparel wickle's pickles we've been we've been preaching the gospel about wickle's pickles for a minute y'all they are pickles relishes okras sandwich spread they're getting into some more apparel um type stuff now you can get a hat from them that, that apparently has magic powers according to, to hunter uh and they're getting into more products too so go to wicklespickles.com to learn more about all of their products you can find them in the pickle aisle of your local store. And you know, you can because they're Alabama made have been for almost 90 years right here in the state of Alabama, go to wickles to learn more about all of their products. Before we move forward in this, uh, in this Kentucky preview, you said just off the cuff, you can't remember the last time Kentucky had a good wide receiver other than Lynn Bowden, obviously Um, I I looked it up and I I found the answer. And as a big NFL person, you're, you're going to hear the name, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that, that worked out. Uh, does that ring a bell with you? Do you want to fancy a guess before I tell you the answer?
1: <sighs> He's in the NFL now?
0: I, I mean, I'm not a huge NFL person, so I'm going to double double him from being a pretty big playmaker in the NFL as recently as, like, three or four years ago. If not more recently than that, again, I, I don't really— Follow it that much. I'm, I'm pulling up this guy's uh, foot, pro football reference page right now. Let's see. Um, no, give me his give me his career stats. Let's see. Oh, come on, these are the games. Here we go. Let's see. I mean, the only the only
1: person that I could possibly think of, and I don't even think that he played receiver. Yeah, he, at this Kentucky. guy
0: had. This guy had 800 receiving yards as recently as last year.
1: Now, if you're now, uh, if you're talking about Randall Cobb, he played
0: quarterback, right? at Kentucky. I am talking about Randall Cobb. Um, and he, he had, he had a thousand receiving yards in his junior year at Kentucky. And then he got, yeah. Okay. Maybe he did make the switch. Now, did he still play? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, I want Randall to- Collins did attempt ten passes for Kentucky in two thousand ten, which was his last season there. Um, so he made the but switch. But I'm looking at his, I'm looking at his uh, junior and sophomore seasons at Kentucky, and I'm seeing a combined twenty three pass attempts.
1: Yeah. So he, yeah, he got used in a lot of different ways. I want to say he was used as a as a rusher, as a you know receiver. He was kind of, I guess, he was Lynn Bowden. Um, I guess it's exactly, yeah,
0: they, they definitely used him in a bunch of ways, but I think he was far more of a true wide receiver than Lynn Bowden ended up being.
1: Yeah. You're, you're a hundred percent right there. So that, uh, yeah. Um, it's
0: been, it's been about a decade since, uh, since Kentucky had a good receiver that they used as a receiver.
1: Man, uh, that's a blast from the past, you know. I forget that. A, I forgot that he played at Kentucky. B, I forgot that he, you know, I wanted to say that he was a guy that got to the to the league and ended up switching to receiver. But you're right, he already kind of made that move, and uh, and has ended up having a really good NFL career. Um, I guess when I think of receiver, I think a true wide receiver that I don't I don't know. I'm trying to think of the last time Kentucky had like a big bodied guy who ended up making it to the league that did, I don't know, just the receiver when I think of, I don't know why, but Randall Cobb, maybe it's just been a while, I don't know but very interesting stuff and it kind of tells you exactly because I don't think tight end was, you know, Jacob Tammy there for a while back in the day trying to think if they've had anybody else at tight end, but running backs, I mean they've had some plenty of success, you know, Benny Snell um, I forget the guy before him, but he was there for several years and, and had some success but just Kentucky offensively, you know, whether it be at the quarterback. And I think they're in pretty decent hands uh, for the future. You know, Joey Gate, uh career start against Georgia, that wasn't really fair to him. And he looked pretty terrible, but I, I, there's only so much you could take away from that game considering they don't have a lot of weapons uh, in the passing game. The, you're going against one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, Georgia knew that they could make Kentucky one-dimensional put the game on, on Joey Gatewood's shoulders, and that's not the recipe you want. If you want to have any sort of offensive success, but I think he's going to end up being pretty good. And then, um, oh, man, now I'm drawing a blank on that kid uh, that that's behind him, on the depth, the, the true freshman. I'm drawing a blank on him. Oh, um,
0: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. Um, I'm drawing blanks on oh. everything.
1: I'm,
0: Bo Allen. I... My... There we go. Um, Bo
1: Allen. Yeah. Uh, so they have some talent at the quarterback position moving forward, but for right now, you know, it's Terry, it's Terry Wilson's show. And he – I thought he would take a, 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 not a big step in his development. You know, obviously he's been around for quite a while. You kind of get what you get from him. But I did think that he would be better this year, and he's dealt with some injury issues, which is what Joey got Jay Gate with the, the start against Georgia. But – just Terry Wilson has not been dynamic enough. And if you're going to beat Alabama, you got to have dynamic play at the quarterback position, or you do nine times out of 10, or at least get a couple of just ridiculously good throws. Like uh, Auburn got from bone last year, a couple of plays that you just, you know, completely say, wow, over. And, you know, so with Kentucky, it's like I said, I, I don't think that this is a the type of game where we're talking about, you know, how, how does Alabama uh, win? How does Kentucky win? It's, you know, how does Alabama cover that 30-point spread? How does Kentucky keep Alabama from covering that 30-point spread? That's kind of where I'm at with things. So, and I take, based off of your comments, I'm taking you're you're in the same
0: boat. Yes. Uh, This is turning into a Kentucky podcast. The the, the guy before Benny Snell, were you thinking of JoJo Kemp?
1: No. um, There was another guy.
0: That's the only one that's coming up when I'm looking at Kentucky's career rushing leaders. Um, jojo Kemp would have been in that that time frame that you were you were thinking of i, I digress um again i think i think I've made it somewhat clear that boom uh, williams. until boom williams there we go yeah okay. that's who it was um, he
1: was there for a while but anyways go ahead
0: yeah i think uh again i just don't uh, until someone gives me reason to believe that it can be slowed down. I don't have any reason to believe that it will be slowed down, this Alabama offense. So I don't think you can beat Bama unless you can not blink in a shootout with them. And and look at the team that's come closest to beating Bama. Ole Miss, that was the exact recipe. You get in a shootout with Bama and you see how long it takes you to blink or maybe they blink first. Um, Yeah. And, and, and it took Ole Miss three, three and a half quarters to, to blink, and, and they were the ones that came closest to actually doing it. So un, until they find an offense that can go toe-to-toe with them and not blink, um, I, I I don't see any, any reason to believe that it can be done, and, and this offense just doesn't inspire any fear in me. And it, it is worth pointing out that Kentucky's defense is – one of the best in the SEC. Uh, they're second in the SEC in yards per play allowed. First and third are Georgia and Mississippi State, two other good defenses that came to Tuscaloosa and and got varying degrees of torched. So, yes, uh, <laughs> very good, very true. Kentucky does have a good defense, and they're a little bit better at preventing explosive pass plays than, than Georgia and Mississippi State, and frankly, Pretty much everyone else in the conference, so so that could factor into things if if that's systemic in in their defense and they they actually have something about them that prevents explosive pass plays as opposed to just a, a small sample kind of fluke thing. Maybe they're able to hold Bama under forty for for that reason, um, but for for the most part, that that thirty point number when I first saw it. I thought, man, that's that's kind of big, and and then I thought about it more, and I, I think I can't my my game prediction, which I, I can't remember off the top of my head, I'll have to go pull it up, but it's it's right around that thirty number, but I think I ended up giving Bama the cover because uh, again, Bama has lit up defenses comparable. To Kentucky's and and the Wildcats don't have much of a semblance of, of offense, so um, it's not really a good recipe for um, covering, much less winning the game outright. But I'm gonna I'm gonna grab my uh, final score prediction real quick. So yeah, um, and this is kind of how
1: I see the game going. And I talked about this with Hunter and Cecil on the the Pickham podcast. Uh, you know, Kentucky's defense, like you said. That is a key that I think is could end up being very important if Kentucky wants any chance of covering this line because they've been so good at creating turnovers. And if they can get, you know, a potentially rusty Alabama team or offense early because of the huge layoff, whether it be, you know, a Najee Harris fumble, probably wouldn't bank on that if you're Kentucky, but maybe a Mac Jones interception. He, he's been very good at protecting the football. But maybe you can kind of bait him into something early, kind of like, you know, I wouldn't say he got baited into anything against Georgia, but Georgia got that. Uh, fortunate turnover that they couldn't really do anything with on the first drive of the game, but Kentucky's defense—you got to give them credit—they've been rock solid this year, and more so than, definitely more so than Mississippi State, but maybe even more so than uh, than Georgia. They're very good at creating turnovers, and so I just wonder if that com- uh, combined with a layoff for Alabama could play into Kentucky's favor, and then the other huge as far as Alabama potentially covering this game or not covering this game is Kentucky's run game. You know, how much success can they have? They're going to be on the road, but they have a veteran offensive line, a very good offensive line, a good stable of of running backs, including Chris Rodriguez. If they can have some sustained drives against Alabama's defense, which has not been you know, overly impressive this year has gotten better, but we still don't know exactly where it's at, especially when it comes to run defense. Um, you know, the last time they were on the field, they went against Mississippi state who had zero run offense. So we just don't know exactly where they're at. If Kentucky can move the football and have some sustained drives and limit Alabama's offense or the time that Alabama's offense is on the field, uh, then maybe they can, you know, keep Alabama from being able to score enough points to exceed that 30 point mark, uh, Uh, You know, I also mentioned on the podcast before, you know, with Alabama's elite offense, any point spread is possible. You know, I don't think there's anything outside of the realm of possibility. Alabama could put up 60 or 70 points against anybody, and and I'll continue to reiterate that. You look at what they did against Georgia, um, you know, and there were some things early in that game, some self-inflicted stuff that prevented Alabama from maybe adding on top of that. So, it's, I could see it going both ways, but I think if you combine the fact that Kentucky's defense has been good enough to maybe get just one or two stops, you talk about their ability to maybe create, uh, force a turnover, if that happens, I really like Kentucky's chances, even if it's just one. That's one drive that Alabama doesn't have the ability to, to potentially put up points and mm-hmm. I think that that bodes well for Kentucky. And then when you combine that with maybe being able to control clock a little bit, not to the point where they're going to you know have a bunch of you know eight, nine, ten minute drives uh, that's finishing with touchdowns or, or even field goals. I'm not saying that, but I probably put this score prediction uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of Alabama, like a 40 to 45 range, um, in probably in the low 40s. If I had to put an exact number, like a 41. You know, they score seven or uh, five touchdowns and two field goals, get the – maybe. And then Kentucky, I'd put them probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 to 17. Um, and so I actually, in the pick-em-pod, I took Kentucky. I feel I'm going to put my faith in their their defense's ability and their, their ability to control clock. If Alabama wins by 28, it's not a bad victory. I uh, just – I think that if I had to put an exact prediction on it, I'd probably say Alabama wins somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 25 to 30 points, somewhere in that range. So right just under that cover, but they still win big.
0: What about you? Our final scores are very, very similar. Yours just sneaks in under that number in that 41 to 14 range. Mine is 45 to 13, which sneaks in just above that that number. Um, so That's we're, how we're close of, it'll be, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're of similar minds. We think the game is going to be – right around that number and and a a Kentucky stop here or a turnover here or there, or even something as trivial as a bad punt setting up advantageous field position to create a score where one wouldn't have existed. Otherwise that very well could be the difference between covering and and not covering, which is why gambling against the spread is just a maniacal proposition. I don't know how anyone (laughs) does it like full time or, passionately man i I just i don't know how how y'all do it dude like of course i never gamble on sports because it's illegal in alabama and and i would never do such a thing ever ever of course but (laughs) uh going against the spread is is something else man i don't know that i could do it every single week with with the intensity that um our, our friends in the desert do as as brent musburger would say I got to be
1: honest. Uh, I, I'm right there with you. Um, there's, We can sit here and predict how we think the game's going to play out, and you're sitting there talking. You know, we could be pretty darn close. You know, your score prediction can end up being right, and I was right there in the same ballpark, but I ended up being wrong on the 30 points. And that's what makes it so difficult is you can try to predict these games and then, you know – um, a couple of weeks ago, one that stands out that worked to my favor as far as the team that I picked, and I don't bet on any of these games, but I have to pick them for both the radio show and the, and the Bama Beat podcast. But um, was the Arkansas? Uh, I don't remember who they were playing, Texas A&M, and right there at the last second, uh, you know, it, Arkansas ends up scoring a touchdown, coming within twelve and a half points. I think it was an eleven for Texas A&M, but Arkansas covered. And that's one that technically, you know, it took that late touchdown from Arkansas. Otherwise, I would have been wrong, but I end up being right on it. And it's like you look at it and you say, well, I mean, it, yeah, that that's a, it's, goes in the win column as far as picking a game. But it doesn't really do anything for me as far as I, how I thought the game was going to play out. I thought it was going to be a lot closer than even that. So, and it goes the opposite way, too. There's been plenty of times where it's like, yeah, a game played out exactly how I thought it would. But Alabama gives up a late touchdown or something uh just because they got their you know second string in and a team ends up covering and you've got to put that in the loss column so picking games is people that do it in vegas who who do it you know as consistently as they do is wild to me and it's even wilder in a season like this because there's so much uncertainty you know if you're one of those people in vegas that's got inside lines uh or or, you know sources within a ton of programs where you can get information like who actually is going to be out. Like if you know if you knew this weekend that you know Alabama was going to be without Mac Jones, Najee Harrison, and Devontae Smith, that's going to impact who you pick. Right. But everybody else just knows that maybe Alabama, which Alabama does not have an outbreak. Don't don't run with that news. I'm just using this as a hypothetical example. But on the surface, everybody else is, is talking about well, Alabama's got an outbreak. But we don't know. Is it the the, the four string punter or is it Mac Jones? You know, that that's a very different thing. And so if you have access to that information, uh, that that's gold. But if you don't, which ninety nine percent of the people out there don't how in the world you're able to pick some of these games this year. Like, you know, South Carolina, uh, Missouri, you know, both teams are dealing with COVID issues. We have no idea what's going on with that game. You're talking about Will Muschamp being let go. How does South Carolina respond? You got guys opting out. How in the world you're expected, you know, as somebody from Vegas to make a pick, you know, Missouri minus six and a half going on the road against South Carolina. How in the world you're supposed to predict that with with any sort of confidence? I'll never know, but these guys can do it. I'm just I'm not one of those people. Um, that's my little tangent rant on the difference between predicting how you think games are going to play out and actually predicting scores and, and betting lines. Two very different things, in my opinion. And I respect anybody that can do it, but I'm not one of those people. So, um, so Brett, you got anything else?
0: Ah, uh, not that I can think of. I think think I'm good. I'm ready to. To get this game out of the way, so we can get to, to Iron Bowl week, or well, it should be Iron Bowl week. For all we know, they're going to push the Iron Bowl back a couple weeks to fit the LSU game in. Man, who knows?
1: Oh no, let's not start that. Um, you're, you're not wrong.
0: <laughs> I just I, I, I did kind of drop an, an unnecessary nuke at the end of the pod there. Didn't I? <laughs> it's
1: you're and that's it's been a wild season. It has been just just the last couple of weeks have been so weird. Like it just, it hadn't happened to Alabama during this entire time. Uh, we, we thought that Alabama might have some issues when Nick Saban tested positive, ended up being a false positive and he ended up coaching uh, that weekend. But it's just, you know, it hadn't hit Alabama like it's hit other teams. And we knew it was probably coming at some point, but when you are coming off a of ball, it wasn't just a random week kind of sandwiched in there. It was, you know, you're coming off a of bye week big opponent that you're you've been preparing for alabama fans are totally emotionally invested and then lsu ends up having COVID issues and you gotta you know potentially cancel but more than likely postpone it's just uh and then we're over here sitting be like we did all the bye week stuff you know you got all the the housework done last week right or the week before last uh you weren't expecting to have another week where you're kind of like well there's nothing to really cover and with auburn last week too same situation so, it's especially for, I got to be honest for the the radio show that I do, it's like, well, this we're we're in North Alabama, like that's this this is what we do. <laughs> we talk Alabama and Auburn football. You start trying to bring up basketball, or you know, you can you can sprinkle some NFL in there, and people don't seem to mind it too much. But you take out Alabama and Auburn, and we're we're hurting. Uh, now. And especially when you take out some of the other SEC games that we ended up missing, like Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Georgia, Missouri, and it was just it was. Uh, that's, the, that's what we're living in. It was a, a weekend that was filled mostly with other conferences, football, and not SEC. And glad to have it back. That's all I know. I hope that up the Iron Bowl goes on without a hitch next week. I hope they don't switch anything up. I get it. Fans probably wouldn't be upset if it switched from Auburn to LSU because they really want to – Alabama fans, at least, they really want to play LSU. But we'll see. All right, Brett. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of the MB Podcast. I always appreciate you hopping on here. Guys, go
0: out, home field apparel, wickles, pickles, make it happen.